book of 1 Corinthians this fall. So if you have your Bibles with you or your devices, please turn with me to uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 13. And as you're turning to that section, I just want to briefly recap where we are in the book. We talked about how the book is written by the Apostle Paul, and he wrote to a church in Corinth that's been struggling. They've been going astray. They are struggling with particular uh, sins in the, in, their, in the church community. And so Paul writes to them, trying to encourage them. Now, what we've read in chapters 1 and 2, and today we'll look at chapter 3, what we will begin to see is the first issue that he really addresses, he mentions, is division. And it seems like this division, um, this issue is pretty significant in this community because he spends first four chapters on this issue. Now, he doesn't say, here's uh, division and here's how you need to work out your differences. That's not what he does. He actually says, you are divided. Um, There are quarrelings among you. Uh, You have jealousy and strife. We'll look at that in chapter 13. So he mentions these symptoms, I want to call it. And in chapters 1, 2, and 3, what he does is he talks about really the underlying spiritual issues that they need to deal with. So I'll give you an example. A few years ago, my, my father um, told us, uh, his family told us that his stomach was like hurting. And so initially when he said that, you know, I thought, okay, well, you know, here's some medication, take this, take that. You know, I'm sure it'll go away in, in a few days. But he kept kind of telling us it's hurting, it's not getting better. So we finally took him to a hospital and I mean, they quickly did this, um, several tests, and they did a, some kind of procedure on his um, gallbladder. And, it, and what I was told was it was in a pretty severe state where they needed to, like, do an opera- procedure pretty quickly. Um, I mean, the physical pains, the symptoms were his stomach ache. But the real issue was his gallbladder wasn't functioning right. And I think that's similarly here. What we see from this church, there are divisions and quarreling and there's jealousy and strife. But underneath the symptoms, there are these deep spiritual issues that this church needed to work on. And that's what Paul addresses. So in chapter 1, he says, you have a misunderstanding of the gospel, if you remember. He said, you ha- you're not applying the message of the cross in a right way. He said, some of you think the, the cross, the message of the cross is weakness or foolishness. Then he goes on to say, but for those of us who believe, it is the power of God, right? And then in chapter 2, he talks about how many of you are after wisdom. You want to attain more wisdom. But he says, but the wisdom that you're seeking is wisdom of the world. The, the true wisdom comes from the Spirit of God, gives you the mind of Christ. And so he's addressing these, or these issues that are underlying in this church community. And so in chapter 3, he again addresses three spiritual issues that they need to deal with. So he talks about, hey, there's jealousy amongst you. There's strife. There's fighting amongst you. But underneath what's happening, here are the issues that you need to think, think about and deal with. And he mentions three things, chapter 3. He says, there, he says you have your spiritually immature. There's, he addresses their spiritual immaturity. Number two, he addresses their misunderstanding of Christian leadership. And then he thirdly talks about their misguided worldview. So I'll talk about those three things. So if you have your devices open, we'll read uh, verse 1. Verse 1, initially verse 1 through verse 4. 
He says, but I, brothers, could not address you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh, as infants in Christ. I fed you with milk, not solid food, for you were not ready for it. And even now you are not yet ready, for you are still of the flesh. For while there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not of the flesh and behaving only in a human way? For when one says, I follow Paul, and another, I follow Apollos, are you not being merely human? Well, pause there. So the first thing that he says is, Corinthians, look, look at, I mean, what you're fighting about. Look how, some of you say, I follow Apollos, and all those of you say, I follow Paul, and there's this division and strife and jealousy. And he basically says, it's because you're spiritually immature, right? That's what he says. You should be much further along in your spiritual journey, but he says, you're still immature. You're still drinking milk when you should be taking in solid food. Um, I mean, parents, some of your parents know when your like, infant is born, um, they do three things, right? They eat, um, or drink, eat, they poop, and they sleep. And if they could do those three things well, you're happy, right? I mean, they're, you're like, wow, my son is sleeping so well. Praise God. Or my, my daughter is eating so well. And you're just, you're just happy and you're glad. But can you imagine after a year, I mean, after two years, they just eat, poop, and sleep? I mean, you think something is not right. Like, this, is, this is not normal. It's not healthy. Um, something is off. And I think that's what Paul is saying. He's saying, I fed you spiritual milk. Now I ex- expect you to take in solid food. But he says, but that's not where you are. You're still spiritually immature. Now, I think it's easy for us to uh, you know, think about uh, physical growth is easy, easy to tell if someone is getting taller or bigger, um, but it's hard to tell if someone's actually spiritually growing, right? I mean, we've been, we haven't met together, some of you know, haven't met together for a year and a half. And so when we, even now when I see some of the kids at our church, I go, oh my gosh, he's in youth group? Like we had a youth group event for the first one, like first one in a long time, like in person last night. And I thought, Wow, he's in youth group? I'm not mentioning any names, but I was like, oh my goodness, wow, he's in youth group. I mean, things like that happen. It, like you see physical development or you see physical growth, but sometimes it's hard to see if we or people are growing spiritually. I mean, how do you tell? Um, I think in this book, right, as Paul is talking about the gospel and talking about the spirit, I think he would ask us these three questions. But there, there, there could be more. But I think if Paul would come here to Great Commission Community Church in the context of this book, especially chapters 1, 2, and 3, I think these are questions that he would ask. Question 1. Think about your relationships. Are your relationships shaped by rivalry and jealousy or by humility and love? Like in your heart, is there a sense of competition and always trying to outdo other people or do you have a sense of humility and are you able to love people well? I think that's what he would say. We live in an individualistic society where we celebrate winning, right? Uh, We celebrate people who are successful. I mean, that's what we do as a society and what happened, I think, is that spirit of winning and outdoing others um, has spilled over to 
the church. We have denominations and churches and Christians and Christian organizations who are trying to do a lot of different things and yet they have a hard time working together. That's why we have divisions of this and that, that group doing this and this group doing that. I mean, it's, it's hard to see a unity amongst Christians, isn't it? Why is that? I think partly that's spiritual immaturity. Second question that he might ask is, do you find your identity in Christ or do you often feel superior or inferior to other people? And that's what he talked about in chapter 2, in chapter 1 and chapter 2. Do you find your identity in Christ or do you often feel sense of superiority and inferiority when, we, when you compare, to, compare, compare yourself to other people? There's a documentary called Social Dilemma. I don't know how many of you saw that. It's on Netflix. It's really interesting. Um, you know, they interview people who like, worked at Google and Facebook and Instagram and, and all these social media um, companies. And you know, several of these people say things like, you know, we have a whole generation uh, growing up more anxious and depressed than before because they get their sense of self-worth through how many likes and hearts they get on their posts. Now, that's not just a generational thing. That's, that's all of us. All of us tend to find our identity in something. It, doesn't, it might not be a post that we place on you know, Instagram, but I mean, think about the message that we receive in our society. You're not just like, doing work. It says you are your work, right? You're, you're not, you don't just have a career. You are your career. And that's why some of us feel inferior or superior to other people when we, when we stand on our careers. Others of us, I mean, it's, our society tells us you're not being successful. You are your success. Um, this happens all the time. Um, and so I think a spiritual mature person is someone who is able to find their identity in Christ. That the sense of superiority and inferiority, it slowly um, like lessens. It, it, doesn't, it doesn't grab hold of us as much. I mean, to be honest, and I still struggle with this time to time, but especially when I was a young pastor and trying to do a church plant when I was up in Philly, I felt very superior when, I, when my church plant was doing well, especially compared to someone else. I felt inferior when I compared my church plan to someone else who was doing a, a church plan that was like successful. We, we find our identity in something else. I mean, that's, that's like a, a huge temptation. But a spiritual mature person would say, no, I find my identity. I know who I am in Christ. And do you remember in chapter 1, the very first section that we looked at? I mean, that's what Paul like, talked about. You are sanctified in Christ, right? That's what he says. Corinthians, as I talk about all these issues in your life, remember you're sanctified in Christ. So a spiritual mature person is someone who finds their identity in Christ. Thirdly, just really briefly, do you recognize, I think Paul said something like, do you recognize the Holy Spirit that dwells in you? Are you able to discern His voice? Are you, do you sense Him leading you? Do, you? do you sense when you grieve Him because you've disobeyed? The Holy Spirit is in you. He dwells in you. Do you, do you know Him? Do you, are you in fellowship with Him? So just those. And then, obviously, there are many more. But I think those three things we could think about. And think about, hey, are, am I spiritually growing? Or am I still drinking spiritual milk? 
Are we still infants in Christ or are we maturing? Now, the second thing that he says is, he says here, divisions, and one of the second reasons that there are divisions and quarreling and jealousy amongst you is because you, you have a, mis, a misunderstanding of Christian leadership, right? And we talked about this before, but look with me at verse 5. So we'll kind of continue down the chapter. He says, what then is Apollos? What is Paul? Servants through whom you believed, as the Lord assigned to to each. I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. He who plants and he who waters are one, and each will receive his wages according to his labor. For we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field, God's building. So simply, this is what he says, Paul says, because they've been divided amongst themselves. I follow Paul, I follow Apollos, I follow Cephas, right? And Paul basically says, who are we? We are merely servants. We're servants. That's what he says. We're servants. In chapter 4, he says explicitly, we are servants of Christ. And we've been assigned a task from God, right? And so uh, this, I think, applies to pastors and and missionaries and vocational people are in vocational ministry probably more, but like we are servants, but we're not just servants of the church, and we could be that. But ultimately, primarily, we are servants of Christ, and we get our assignment from God. And so Paul is saying, there's no reason for you to compare Paul and Apollos, right? Because they have different assignments, different tasks. And different giftings. Paul's assignment was to plant. Apollo's assignment was to water. But it's God who made it grow. So there's no reason for you to compare one Christian leader to another, one pastor to another, one organization to another, because God is the one who assigns tasks to people, to his servants. And he goes on. Look at chapter, uh, verse 10. We're just going to go down the chapter. Chapter 10. Now he switches metaphor from agricultural meta- metaphor to architectural metaphor. He talks about a building. He says, according to the grace of God given to me, like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation and someone else is building upon it. Let each one take care how he builds upon it. For no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which, which is Jesus Christ. Now, if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stone, wood, hay, and straw, each one's work will be, become manifest. For the, day, for the day will disclose it, because it will be revealed by fire. And the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. If the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved but only as through fire. So Paul says, imagine you're a building. The church is the building. The foundation of Jesus Christ and the workers, pastors and people who are called to a full-time vocational ministry and some of us here, I think. Like our responsibility is to build on the foundation of Jesus Christ. We're, we're building. We're the builders. But Paul goes on to say something that's, I think, really sobering. He says, some of you will, be built, will build with gold, silver, and precious stone. Others of you, wood, hay, and straw. On the day of the Lord, when basically when we stand before God, everything will be tested. Your work will be tested, and some of your work will burn up, and others will remain. 
I mean, for me, that's like sobering, right? We could, we could work and serve and give. And at the end of the day, when Jesus calls us, like our work actually can't burn up. Like that's, that's basically, we need to be building the church of God with utmost care and vigilance and prayerfulness. And so I thought to myself this week, okay, I want to make sure that I'm going to build with gold, silver, and precious stone. I don't, want my, I don't want my effort or my service to God to, like, not count. So I thought about, okay, what does that look like? What does it mean to build with gold, silver, and precious stone? And I came up with a list, and then I read the next few verses, and I think I, I'm not going to share this list, because look what it says in verse 16. He says, Do you not know that you are God's temple, and that God's Spirit dwells in you? If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him. For God's temple is holy, and you are that temple. I think the essence, the, the heart of the passage is this. God's saying, if you're a worker, if you're a leader of a church, make sure you do it with the utmost care because church is precious to me. So rather than giving you a list of, okay, here are five things that we need to do as workers or leaders uh, to build well, I think I just want to say the heart of the passage is man, we need to do it with our, I want to give our best. We need to care for church with our utmost care. Um, when my oldest son, who's in college now, when he was less than one, I think he was about eight months old, uh, my wife and I, Suja and I, had to go down to Atlanta to go through this um, church planting assessment. So basically, we wanted, to, we wanted to plant a church, and so the denomination that we were part of back then, they said, hey, come on down, we're going to assess you, and it, it said five days. And, you know, they said, you can't really bring your kids with you. It has to be, you know, husband and wife. It's five days, we're going to train you, we're going to equip you, we're going to assess you. And so we had um, our oldest son, who was you know, less than one. He, I remember he was still in his crib, and my wife was pregnant with our second son. And, and you know, and we just felt bad. I remember thinking, like, just feeling bad leaving our son who was about eight months, like, for five days. I remember back then we lived with our, uh, my brother-in-law's family. And so we told, like, you know, brother-in-law, sister-in-law, we said, you know, can you make sure that he's okay? We feel so bad leaving him. Can you just make sure that he's okay? You know, here are the things that he needs. And if you could just check on him, you know, daily. And we also told several friends if they could come by and make sure that he's doing okay. I mean, for a parent to live, uh, leave, a, a, you know, a baby who's like less than one for, for a long time, that's, I mean, that's, you know, it's, it could be frightening. And so we just, I just remember asking several people to make sure that, you know, uh, my son Josiah uh, was okay. And one of the ladies told us after we uh, came back, she said she was like, she wanted to do that so well. Like one time she said something like, Josiah was sleeping and she didn't want to leave the room because she didn't want to wake him up. And so she just froze and I think I could be, I don't know, my memory is hazy, but like she was underneath the crib just frozen for a long time, making sure that he was like, he was sound asleep. We really appreciated that. But I think that's the heart. God says to church leaders, I love my church. The church is the most important thing to me. I gave my son. My son died so that I can have my church. So if you are a spiritual leader, 
we want to make sure that we build and serve with greatest care, greatest affection, vigilance. Whatever that looks like, maybe it's intense prayer, maybe it's preaching the gospel, maybe it's counseling, whatever it might be, we want to we give our best because here God says, you are my temple, you are holy. If say, anyone destroys this temple, I'm going to destroy him, he says. So church leaders, especially me, right, and our elders and pastors, we, we serve the church with just, again, just greatest affection and purest motives wanting to build up the church. You are the church, you are the, you're the building, you're the church, and God, God immensely loves you. All right, third reason that he says is, again, third reason why there's division. He says there you have misguided worldview. So verse 18 he says, let no one deceive himself. If anyone, if anyone among you thinks that he is wise in this age, let him become a fool that he may become wise. For the wisdom of this world is folly with God. For it is written, he catches the wise in their craftiness. And again, the Lord knows the thoughts of the wise, that they are futile. So let no one boast in men. For all things are yours, whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas or the world or life or death or present or the future. All are yours and you are Christ's and Christ is God's. So this is what he says. He says, you know, right, right there in verse 21, he says, Let no man boast. And we talked about this already because he mentioned this in chapter 1. Let no man boast. In chapter 1 he says, only boast in the Lord. But here he says this, let no one boast. For all things are yours. This is what he's saying. He's saying, you don't have to boast about following Paul or Cephas or Apollos because actually all of them serve you. All of them are yours. Right? It's kind of saying, you know, if you, if you really enjoy someone's teaching, you know, and, and you know, I won't be offended. It's okay. You enjoy someone's teaching. They do a great job explaining the Bible. You don't have to say, I really follow him and exclusively listen to him alone. No, what Paul is saying is, no, everyone, we're all on the same team. Like whether you're Paul, follower of Paul or Apollos or Cephas, you are on the same team because they all belong to you. We are all in Christ. You don't have to choose one over the other. You, you, you. Like, we're in this together. That's what Paul is saying. And then look what he says. He says, and then he says, whether Paul or Paul, and then he says, or world or life or death or present or future, all are yours and you are in Christ and Christ is in God. So I think what he's saying is, um, everything in this world, present, future, life and death, works towards you. I mean, it's, everything is under God's control. Everything, everything's in Christ. And you are in Him. And that means everything belongs to you. I mean, in the book of Romans, he says it this way. You are children of God. Heirs with Christ. Sometimes our mindset as Christians is we, we think things will run away. Like things will, um, they, won't, they won't last. You know? And so we, our, our hearts are very anxious. We want to grab things and we want to make sure that we get there first. We think that God's goodness and blessings and provisions only will last a certain amount. You know, and, and so there's a limited amount of God's blessings. And so we, we, we try to, I don't know, grab things and hold on to things. What Paul is saying is, no, every, you are 
heirs with Christ. Everything belongs to you. Um, do you remember when the pandemic started? Uh, 2020 of, like March of 2020? Do you remember what, what people were talking about back then? They were talking about toilet papers, right? Do you remember that? I remember reading this article in, in uh, Wall Street Journal, and he talked about this, this article talked about how um, there was a man in Florida who was arrested for stealing 66 toilet paper rolls. There was a person in Nebraska, or Nebraska had to close down all the rest up along Interstate 80 because people were stealing toilet papers in rest stops. Uh, in North Carolina, police followed a truck and found a warehouse where they had 18,000 pounds of toilet paper. What's wrong with North Carolina? I mean, 18,000 of toilet paper. I and mean, when you think back, you go, what, is, what was that? That was so bizarre. And like, it's, just, it's just funny. But I think sometimes Christians, we live that way. We think they're... they're are limited uh, blessings from God. And so we're busy trying to outdo others. We're trying to make sure that we have, our, we have what we want. No, Paul is saying, no. Everything is yours in Christ. You are heirs with Him. Do you know that one day you will reign? That everything belongs to you? Just ask, I, uh, I'll close with this. Remember the, the famous parable, the parable of the prodigal son? Remember the younger, younger son goes away, you know, he spends all of his money or father's money inheritance and he comes back broke and he's humbled and, and you know, he, he asks father to forgive him and the father throws a party, remember? And, you know, they celebrate. And then you have the elder brother. The elder brother was with the father the whole time. The elder brother looks at what father is doing with the younger son, and he's bitter and angry. Father says, come in, join the party. And the elder son says, no, I've been with you all this time. I've never disobeyed you, and you haven't given me one goat so that I can celebrate with my friends. And then the father says this. He says, son, don't you know that everything I have is yours? Everything I have is yours. Friends, brothers and sisters, everything that God has is ours in Christ. The scripture calls us, we are heirs with him. We don't have to be divisive, trying to grab what is ours. No, we can can enjoy all the things that God has brought before us. And whatever God has assigned to us, we could be faithful knowing that that's our assignment. That's where, God, that's where God has us during this season. And so let's, let's have that mindset. Uh, so let's, I'm going to ask us to maybe bow our heads and just let's spend a minute in reflection and prayer. Um, I think living in this culture and our society, it's so, e- society, it's so easy for us to have a mindset of scarcity. Right, that I need to make sure that I get um, what I want because if I don't, it's gonna run away. I mean, it's gonna run out. Um, I need to outdo others. I need to outperform other people. I need to make sure that I'm first in line. I mean, that's what the society kind of celebrates. But God says, "No, don't you know that Paul and Apollos is yours? Don't you know that life, death, future, present?" Everything belongs to you in Christ. 
And so we can live this life with a heart that's generous, heart that's not anxious because we think things will run out, but a heart that's filled with His peace, wanting to bless other people. And so let's just take a minute to do that, shall we? Let's say that prayer. And, you know, if you're in that state where um, you have anxiousness in your heart, um, yeah, let's bring that before the Lord and uh, remember uh, that we are heirs with Him. Uh, Remember that He cares for us immensely. Um, So let's just offer those things to the Lord and afterwards we will uh, take communion together.